0: In today's Inside Sports Nutrition podcast, Dina and I sit down and chat with Dr. Alan Lim, PhD, physiologist, and founder at Scratch Labs. Alan received his PhD from the Applied Exercise Science Lab at CU Boulder, where he focused on the development of portable power meters to quantify the demands of professional cycling. After graduating, he worked on the pro cycling tour as a sports scientist, then founded Scratch Labs, which is a sport nutrition company based in Boulder, Colorado. Alan is also the co-author of the Feed Zone cookbook series with Chef Bijou Thomas. In his spare time, he continues to consult athletes that range the gamut from the Lux Junior Cycling Team to Olympic gold medalist Gwen Jorgensen. Find him at scratchlabs.com. So today's episode, we focus on some great things regarding sports nutrition, specifically what Dr. Lim has been up to with Scratch Labs and developing and bringing to market a product with the carbohydrate cluster dextrin. So it's a little bit different carbohydrate than we've heard of in the past, glucose, fructose, sucrose, that kind of thing, maltodextrin, this is a whole different subset of carbohydrate, which I think you're really, really gonna be excited to learn about. So Dina and I chat with Alan on things regarding molecular weight, osmolality, osmolarity, Legos, which should pique your interest, really getting into the science but then the application of what is this cluster dextrin he actually put it into a product called Superfuel at scratch that he recommends many athletes who need and require higher calories per hour use this product because it's a really really great source of higher calories that's that are it's liquid form so it's drinkable so we kind of delve into the science looking at why legos are part of this equation and why we utilize Legos as an example, and really breaking down the science, getting a little chatty with the science, but really, really important to understand what this cluster dextrin is, why it's different than simple sugars, and why it's different than maltodextrin. So hang in there for this episode. It's a fantastic listen. I think you're going to really gain a lot of appreciation regarding this newer carbohydrate that is on the market, and we look forward to hearing from you next time. Thanks for listening. Welcome today, uh, Dr. Alan Lim, to our uh, uh, podcast today. We are so incredibly excited. Uh, Dean and I, Alan, are so excited to chat with you today about all things related to, obviously, carbohydrate. We're going to focus on cluster dextrin, super fuel at scratch. So welcome. Thank you for taking the time today.
1: Yeah, you're really welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So my kind of a launch question is, know i've i've followed your work i mean from the tour and and like you've obviously just been so instrumental in Bringing the food concept to athletes, like real food, real food, real food. So thank you for that. Number one. You're uh, number welcome. two, I love what you've done with Scratch. You know, obviously we're all here in Colorado, and you love to support uh, small businesses. So thank you for that. But I'm, you know, as I've followed the evolution of Scratch, you know, you've got your sport hydration mix, your wellness mix, your, your you've got all these great electrolyte mixes, your hyper hydration. I guess we're gonna really focus today on the superfuel, which is a cluster dextrin, which we'll get into here in a second. But I guess to start out with, why? Like, where was the where where was the 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 knowledge base, and and why did you feel like this product was a good one to add to the to the lineup of scratch?
1: I think you know, for for many many years, I've always believed and seen and sports performance that if athletes needed a lot of calories, it was probably best to use real food um, mm. and not to have that uh, those calories in liquid form. And primarily because I was seeing a lot of GI distress occur. Um, so, you know, ultimately the genesis of Superfuel was in trying to alleviate gastrointestinal distress mm. while at the same time giving athletes a very convenient and simple way to consume calories. There, it's very, very difficult in some events, some endurance events, like, say, mountain biking or trail running, if you're on the go, if you're bouncing up and down, to be actually able to chew food, right? Um, and even in something like the marathon, it's really, really difficult to um, chew food, let alone drink, because your ventilation rates are so high. And so super fuel really got got pushed on me by Gwen Jorgensen uh, who won the Olympic gold medal in triathlon. She had transitioned into training for the marathon. And basically, marathon is very, very unique in that, let's just say it's 100 calories per mile to do the marathon. So that's 2,600 calories. And let's say that you're at intensity where you're 100% carbohydrate utilization. And let's say that most people are between 2,000 and 2,100 calories of total glycogen in lower limb. Uh, mass, Mm -hmm. right? And leg mass. That means that uh everyone's pretty tightly chunked up until about mile 20 and 21 and then it blows apart. And the last six miles, you know, really depend on whether or not you've got, you know, those 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 five extra fries, right? Um and most people most people don't because they're not consuming anything during the marathon. Uh I went out on some, you know, long hard runs with Gwen. And she was just breathing too hard to be able to consume any meaningful amount of calories. And so we knew that we needed to get her something probably in liquid form, you know, in the range of four hundred to six hundred calories at the very, very start that wouldn't cause any G i distress, which meant that we needed a very, very complex carbohydrate that would digest at a slow rate. Um, I think that for for people to understand this, you have to think about um you have to think about the the complexity of carbohydrate and the the breakdown of these little glucose molecules that go into your small intestine um as uh well let me just start all over again okay let's talk about what
0: causes <laughs> gi distress how about yes. that yes right? absolutely because it's, it's it's rampant in endurance sport isn't it, it yeah. doesn't matter the sport i mean a little bit less for roadies on the on the bike that's but right. certainly is still there
1: that's right so GI distress is fundamentally when your rate of, um, say, gastric emptying or the rate at which things are coming from your stomach, right, exceeds your intestines' ability to absorb it, right? So the rate of delivery is greater than the rate of absorption. It's just Mm -hmm. that simple. And, you know, if you think about the whole digestive system, right, it starts at the mouth when we chew. We've got amylase, which starts to break down some simple carbohydrate bonds there. Goes down to our stomach where then stomach acid liquefies everything and then from the stomach it goes into the small intestine and it's in the small intestine where now it crosses that very thin intestinal membrane into the body right Mm -hmm. um if the rate of absorption by that small intestine doesn't keep up with what's coming in from the stomach then you know you can start to have some distension you you start to fill that intestinal lumen and in you know kind of the worst case scenario, if the molecular concentration of all those foodstuffs in the intestine exceeds the molecular concentration of your blood, then now you have a gradient where water likes to flow from an area of low molecular concentration to high molecular concentration, right? We typically use the word osmolarity, um, osmolality for molecular concentration. And what people get really confused on molecular concentration or the word osmolality, osmolarity, is that it's not how heavy something is. It's not the number of calories you have in, in, say, a solution. It's the number of individual little molecules, right? And so, for example, if I take a bunch of Lego pieces and if I have 10 Lego pieces and I put those 10 Lego pieces in a beaker and fill it with a liter of water, I now have an, say, an osmolality of 10 milliosmoles per liter. I have 10 little Lego blocks in that solution. And each of those Lego blocks could be, say, a glucose molecule Mm -hmm. that could then absorb into the the body. Um, Our body doesn't absorb sugars unless they're broken down into their individual Lego pieces. Glucose, fructose, right, are the two primary sugars. Um, Galactose is uh, another sugar from milk, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so here's, what's interesting if I take those 10 Lego pieces and I put them all together and form one big block made out of those 10 Lego pieces, the molecular concentration now has gone from 10 to Mm one. So the size of the molecule doesn't matter. It's whether or not they're linked up, right? And so another analogy would be that if I have an airplane that can fit 300 people in it, right? It doesn't matter if there are 300, you know, skinny teenagers or 300 sumo wrestlers, Mm -hmm. right? There are 300 people on that plane. One plane with 300 little teenagers is going to be an osmolality of 300, right? The plane with the 300 sumo wrestlers is going to be 300 you know, right. uh, in terms of osmolality or molecular concentration. But one plane is going to be way heavier than right. the other plane. One plane is going to have a higher energy density. And because water likes to move from an area of low to high, because blood sits around 280 to 290 milliosmoles, mm-hmm. we're always trying to make drink solutions that are a lower molecular concentration than blood, right? Mm-hmm keeping that in the sub, you know, 250, sub 200 range. Right. And so the the kind of trick has always been, well, if athletes need a lot of energy, but they also need drinks with a low molecular concentration, couldn't we just put a fat sumo wrestler in the beaker? Couldn't we just yeah. put a bunch of Lego blocks clumped together? Yeah. Right. And then we can get more energy density, but have a lower molecular pressure. Uh, I think that's that's generally the way that you see these maltodextrin, these high carb solutions go in general. Right. But the problem is this, is if your Lego blocks are so simple where you just have like one overlap and one overlap and one overlap and one overlap, and one overlap yeah. right? And let's say you only have between five to 20 Lego blocks in that structure,
0: Yeah.
1: as soon as that liquid ends up. It's fine when it's when it's in the beaker. It's fine when it's in your water bottle. But as soon as it hits your mouth and starts to digest, what people don't realize is this molecular concentration is dynamic. Meaning that as digestive enzymes in your mouth, in your stomach, and in your gut start to break down these carbohydrates, mm-hmm. if these molecules break apart too fast, then all of a sudden you go from having a drink with a low molecular concentration to suddenly having a drink with an extraordinarily high molecular concentration. Mm-hmm. It would be like loading a plane up with 300 pregnant women. Mm-hmm. And mid-flight, all of them began to give birth to triplets. Yes. <laughs> you would have a total mess on your hands, right? Yeah. And I think this is the issue that I've always had with high-carbohydrate solutions. Is they were made out of maltodextrin uh, solution, carbohydrate, which is a straight chain. Yeah. it's all these glucose units linked up like a choo choo train carbon mm-hmm. 1 to carbon 4 it's broken down by a very simple enzyme called amylase which is both in the mouth and in the in the gut and maltodextrin which is only about 5 to 10 glucose units blows apart really really fast mm. right and so it looks good in the bottle you've got this right. 400 calories you drink it Because it's in liquid form, you now have this very, very high rate of gastric emptying. And so all of a sudden, right, you're emptying this high calorie liquid solution that then detonates in your gut. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the rate of delivery is greater than the rate of absorption. Mm -hmm. And I used to always think of these high carb solutions as Trojan horses, Mm -hmm. You brought in one horse and then they broke apart into a whole entire army attacking the yep. intestinal membrane, yep. right?
0: And, and uh, I think that's interesting because athletes aren't, they're not putting two and two together, right? They think, oh, I drink this and it just goes through my body, but there's there's some gateways there, right? You're talking about the stomach, right. you're talking about the small intestine, and that's where the molecular weight, that concentration, osmolality is is super important, mm-hmm. and that's really what mm-hmm. distinguishes cluster dextrin way different than maltodextrin, correct?
1: Yeah, and, and that's the key. It's The distinction is between molecular concentration versus molecular weight
0: Mm
1: -hmm. right typically things with a very high molecular weight also have a high molecular concentration until they break apart right Mm -hmm. and so you want high molecular weight you want low molecular concentration but Mm -hmm. you want that to stay fairly consistent and you don't want things dynamically to change that fast and so with a more complex carbohydrate you can get something that breaks apart a little more slowly such Mm. that the rate that these glucose units break apart off the main Lego block match what your intestines can actually absorb. And in the perfect situation, what would happen is that you'd basically have a traffic light, you know, at the beginning of your small intestine that says, okay, you know, come on in, come on in. And you'd be able to perfectly pace the delivery of carbohydrate to the yeah. rate of absorption of the small intestine right yeah, such that absolutely. you know all of these molecules don't interfere with water absorption or create a gradient where water is now going from the inside of your body into the intestinal lumen because at that point you can get these exercise associated diarrhea that is just really pretty awful and many athletes have experienced this
0: and i think they continue to because they don't know that there's actually answers out there for them i think you know and yeah. i go back to when i first entered endurance sport way back way back when You know, I was told, you know, GI distress and diarrhea and vomiting, that's just par for the course. Like if you do Ironman and you do anything long distance, you just have to get used to it. And and I didn't really agree with that philosophy back then.
1: Yeah, I I don't think that's the case. And I I think that's also why, for me, the simplest solution used to be just real food. Mm -hmm. It's real food because real food takes time to digest. And the stomach then acts as that traffic light that slowly Mm -hmm. digests the food and slows down the gastric emptying. It allows the stomach to be used as a reservoir for food such that there's a consistent trickle of foodstuffs into the small intestine. And you, you know, from that point are able to maintain a more consistent blood sugar rather than this constantly, you know, up and down blood sugar. And so uh, this is why for a long time I was a proponent of just solid food for calories and also Mm -hmm. um, using a lower concentration you know, lower calorie sports Mm -hmm. drink at about four grams of carbohydrate per hundred mils, Mm -hmm. 4%, um, with a higher sodium level to match what you actually lost in your sweat. Uh, But when many athletes like Gwen came to us and said, hey, look, I get that, you know, real food and a lower calorie sports drink is going to be the safer bet with respect to GI distress. I need to get this stuff in fast. I need to get in higher calories and I need not worry about it. And at that point, we started looking at all the different types of carbohydrates were available. We found highly branched cyclic dextrin, which is really, really unique. It's made in a very unique process. You know, carbohydrates can be classified as either your, you know, kind of monosaccharides, your simple sugars, right? That's Mm -hmm. glucose, your fructose, your galactose, right? Um, You've got your... You know disaccharides that would be like sucrose, right? Mm-hmm. Fructose and glucose, um, mm-hmm. maltose, which would be a glucose-glucose chain. Then you've got your, um, you know, your kind of single-chain carbohydrates, right? Um, people often refer to these as your, you know, um, your polysaccharides of sorts, right? These are just mm-hmm. one-four carbons. They're, you know, maltodextrin, etc. And then you start to get into like these um you know starches right and and the starch is distinguished by having not just the single chain but having branches so now you have another glucose unit hooking up to the carbon one to carbon six you've got carbon one carbon four making a chain you've got carbon one carbon six making a chain and so you get these big branch structures that look more like broccoli right Mm -hmm. and and look more like trees and they can often loop back around onto themselves in Kind of a cyclical shape and this is the way say muscle glycogen looks like inside a muscle as your muscles absorb an excess of blood sugar or glucose you've got a series of enzymes and mechanisms uh, including an enzyme called branching enzyme that, that helps to link these things into these very complex shapes so that you can fit more carbohydrate into a smaller space right. and these very very complex carbohydrates require not just amylase to break down the 1,4 chain, but also require an enzyme only found in the small intestine called the class of enzymes called leukocytases, mm-hmm. which break down to 1,6. And so now you've got kind of this physical structure that is slowing down digestion. And you have the need for two enzymes that slow down digestion. Mm-hmm. The kinematics are subtle, but enough that you significantly change the prospect of GI distress. You don't get something that necessarily explodes in the gut the same way you would a single malto. A a malto chain might be five to 10 Lego blocks, whereas the highly branched cyclic dextrin is more like anywhere from 60 to 100 Mm -hmm. uh, Lego blocks or glucose units. Uh, So that's a significantly heavier um, molecule right, in terms of molecular weight. And that weight is equal to calories, but it's one still molecule that is slowly breaking off.
0: Right. Did it take you a while to actually develop? Like, like was Gwen your your test athlete? I mean, how long did it take? Because it, because you've only had Superfuel for what about a year and a half now? Is that? Yeah, that?
1: we yeah we spent about a year and a half, two years with Gwen working on it. I was okay. so kind of maybe paranoid about how much, you know, an athlete could take in, and I didn't want to make anyone sick. So we took baby steps in making it. Okay. There's also. You know, how do you maintain the the right viscosity of the fluid? How do you maintain the right taste? And certain things could affect that. And, you know, because this is so complex, it doesn't have a lot of taste. So we knew we wanted to add some simple sugar to it to make it a little bit sweet. Um, You know, and that can affect the viscosity as well when when you mix those simple and complex carbohydrates. We also then began testing after Gwen with the EF Pro Cycling Team, okay. um, and you know we wanted to see how it would work in the classics in these long six, seven-hour days in the cold. We wanted to see how it would work in the Tour de France. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until EF got through a whole entire season, including the Tour, that we knew that we had something um, that we had something really special. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Betty all had won Flanders using just super fuel. He had oh. like you know. Uh, eight bottles at about 400 calories a bottle that whole entire day and that's the only thing he drank and ate Um, and so there was also the you know question of well how much sodium do we put in this what's optimal in terms of sodium amount um you know if these guys are taking in between 300 to 400 calories in this fuel we need to make the ratio of calorie to salt different Mm -hmm. so that at that higher calorie they're still getting the appropriate amount of salt and it's not now too salty. right? Um, so yeah, there, there was a lot that kind of went into it, but it was, you know, stuff in the laboratory. We did a bunch of digestion experiments in the lab. So we went to the Applied Exercise Science Laboratory and we took every known competitor in this high calorie mm-hmm. carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. We made a enzymatic solution of amylase and glucosidase. Mm-hmm. And then what we would do is we would, using an osmometer which measures the molecular concentration we would measure the initial molecular concentration of the drink before digestion enzymes were Mm -hmm. added we would then add digestion enzymes to all these solutions and every minute we would measure the change in molecular concentration so as these enzymes digest the carbohydrate you can see how fast the carbohydrate molecules break apart
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: we were really satisfied in releasing a drink when we saw that the enzyme kinetics that the breakdown was slower at least in a in in, in a beaker mm-hmm. than um than other of our, than our other competitors so we had this kind of you know i don't know beaker model and oh. we had the actual model in practice uh with the athletes we worked with um that being said you know people are still you know very, very different. Uh, Some people can handle a lot. Some people can't handle a lot. And I always still try to preach a lot of caution and a lot of variance in terms of, hey, there's more than one way to solve this solution of getting Mm -hmm. a lot of calories in liquid form or a lot of calories in general.
0: Right. Are you finding athletes have to still find another hydration only bottle?
1: It depends on temperature. So in the case of say Flanders, where it was a really, really cold day, Yeah, You have a situation where the energy expenditure is the same as it might be on a hot day, but Mm -hmm. now the fluid requirements are significantly lower. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about liquid carbohydrate in this way, that, you know, let's say you're only losing, you know, 750 mils per Mm -hmm. hour on a cold day. And let's say you're also making some water from the combustion of carbohydrate and fuel stuffs, right? Because anytime you burn fuel, you're also making CO2 in water and Mm -hmm. doing the math. It's about every thousand calories you burn. You're also producing about 700 mils of internal water, or you're freeing Mm -hmm. 700 mils of water inside your body. So, you know, 700 and a thousand calories an hour, which was, which was what Betty was doing at uh, a liter sweat rate, you know, his Mm -hmm. actual fluid requirement might have only been 700, you know, Something mils or whatever, right? Not much, um, or even less, right? Half a bottle, a liter, right? Half a liter, right? And so that's what he was drinking, but he's still needing to replace about half the calories he's burning an hour Mm. Mm because you know his glycogen stores aren't infinite, and so he's consuming now 400 calories, getting all the fluid, getting all the calories. Now, let's move that to the stage in the tour where now these guys are losing two liters an hour, right? Mm -hmm. They've got to drink significantly more, but they still need the same amount of calories. So they can go down to, you know, a hundred calories a bottle,
2: Mm. right?
1: half liter bottle and drink four of those in an hour. They're now getting all the fluid they need, but now they're getting all the calories they need. But now the concentration of that drink is much, much lower. Mm -hmm. So you got to, you know, the, 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 super fuels on one extreme are sport hydration another. And what we see in mixed temperature is that people will then start to mix it. They might have one bottle of super fuel, one bottle of regular scratch. Mm-hmm. And I think that titration method works really, really well, depending okay. upon the environmental circumstance. Perfect.
2: question, Dr. Lim, yeah. for the listeners that are thinking of liquid nutrition. And when you were talking about the molecular weight, could you give just yeah. an example of a couple, um, we have to name products, but just super fuel molecular weight compared to maybe some of the other standard maltodextrin molecular weight products just to show a comparison in that regard
1: yeah yeah so the molecular weight of of glucose is 180 grams per mole and these things are so small that you have to put them on a scale where you can actually measure them and a mole is like what's 6.022 times 10 to the 23 Mm -hmm. number of things or whatever yeah. <laughs> well, you're anyway, bringing back there. So, so, yeah. yeah, long <laughs> story short, let's just talk about it in terms of Lego blocks, right? Um, something like uh, Martin's beta fuel has about, when we measure it in the lab, it's anywhere from 10 to 20 Lego blocks that make up a mo- molecule. So uh, the molecular weight of that is, say, at, at the highest level, 20 Lego blocks, but mm-hmm. when we measure the molecular weight of cluster dextrin, it's anywhere from sixty upwards of eighty to hundred Lego blocks mm-hmm. for a molecule. The so difference. it's effectively three to four times heavier mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. Uh, say, that Martin product. Beta fuel is probably in that same anywhere from fifteen to twenty five. Um, if you know something says maltodextrin on it, it's somewhere as low as five as high as 20 is my experience looking at a range of products so i don't see many carbohydrates extend past 20 Mm -hmm. the highest molecular weight product out there is the ucan product Mm -hmm. right Uh, which is this waxy cornstarch that Mm -hmm. is a very very high molecular weight probably on the order of like i don't know maybe even you know two or three times heavier than say Superfuel or the cluster dextrin, but the issue that I had with uh, the waxy corn stretch is that it's highly insoluble, right? And so it doesn't dissolve very well, it's, it doesn't taste good, it leaves a big film on the mouth and maybe it was developed for diabetics, right, who needed to have a slow glucose curve. It may be too slow. You know, so you're trying to balance this. There's this kind of Goldilocks and the Three bears thing where you want it to be fast enough to keep your blood sugar up, but you want it to be slow enough not to create a gut bomb.
2: Yeah, like the context matters. Yeah, but I yeah think, the
1: context matters.
2: I think one thing that I'm thinking of is just athletes look at, you know, total grams of carbohydrate when they're product shopping or calories and really yeah. just kind of like high level summary of what you've been explaining is that it's way more than that the source and the formulation is really important so that's something for athletes to really keep their eyeballs on
1: yeah and and you know uh, back to you know this analogy around driving it's like hey yeah you want to move 100 grams of carbohydrate you know at most through your gut every hour if you're an elite athlete right you want to get 100 cars down 100 people down the highway Is it more efficient to use 100 individual cars, right? Um, Or do you want to use one big bus? Regardless, what ends up happening is by the time that bus or that car gets off the highway, right, um, you still have to unload those individual people, right? Um, And if everyone gets out of their car at the same time, You might have a very different situation at the gates of Disneyland than if people get off the bus one at a time. Right.
2: Great analogy. (laughs) You're always good at explaining things like that with analogies.
1: (laughs) It's it's both really complex and really simple at the same time, right? And uh, yeah, you have to, I think, understand that things are dynamic and digestion is a very dynamic situation and that Mm -hmm. everything you eat ultimately has to be digested into its simplest form in order to get across Mm -hmm. the small intestine and so between what you read on a food label and what actually crosses your intestinal membrane Mm -hmm. can be very very complex because you know you might have the, the right amount of carbohydrate protein and fat for example but depending upon the type of fat, the structure of the protein, the structure of the carbohydrate, the digestion process to get down to that single amino acid, or, you know, to get down to that single glucose or fructose unit, you know, might be very different.
0: Right. Alan, you mentioned GI distress early on in our conversation relative to cholesterol and superfuel. Yeah. Based on that, what type like what type of athletes will this will superfuel really be best for or or is is there a best for? Is it great for everyone?
1: Uh, I think there is a best for, I think it's best for athletes who are working very, very hard, who have a Mm -hmm. high carbohydrate demand, who are probably needing, you know, more than 50 grams an hour. I think that if you need less than 50 grams an hour, there are a lot uh, of different, more enjoyable ways to get your calories, (laughs) right? And there is something about uh, being able to satiate your just kind of hedonistic needs when you're out there, Uh, working really really hard there is some relief in the joy of eating you know Mm. when you're out there uh, that can't be ignored so yeah i usually say hey it's you know endurance athletes very very high carbohydrate demand very high intensity very long periods of time Mm. Um, and the other caveat is that you can't normally eat real or solid food because you just don't have the pauses or the time right Um, the other scenario would be you know, uh, we've we've seen it really popular with, uh, you know, cross country mountain bike racers, uh, cyclocross racers who need a way to get or on board a bunch of calories right at the start line mm. so that they can have that elevation in blood sugar for the whole entire hour. And that works really well. There's some good evidence that even if you don't, even if you have all the glycogen on board and you don't actually need those calories, elevating your blood sugar can enhance performance, right? And so, um, this is a simple way at the onset of exercise to get a big increase in blood sugar for very high intensity work is another That's place I would use it.
0: I was actually just going to launch into that question. So I'm glad you answered that. I had one of my athletes recently, he's a mountain biker and, and I had, I had actually told him that cause he had used super fuel. And I said, well, let's try it in the 15 to 30 minutes before the start. And yeah. It worked wonderful for him. So is that yeah. about the time frame you're recommending if athletes want to try it in that pre window or should it be yeah. closer?
1: With- within 15 minutes or even closer it depends on their own comfort uh, level i I think in general uh within 15 minutes is safe um uh it depends on how long the event is right Mm. i i tend to like like i give them even a shorter window on like five to ten minutes right
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and are you recommending a full
0: seven scoops 400 calories at that level, that? probably
1: I, I probably go down to five scoops. I probably go down to three hundred calories just to okay. be a little safer. Uh, yep. But different, you know, athletes are different, so they need to experiment and see what's optimal for for them and what they can handle. Right. Uh, I think that um, you know, ultimately, we're trying to get it really close to the window because we're we're trying to let exercise blunt the insulin response, right? So right. that we don't have this double whammy of muscles pulling glucose mm-hmm. in as well as mm-hmm. insulin pulling glucose into the muscle, which can cause that hypoglycemia, right? We're right. trying to keep that blood sugar elevated and relying on just muscle contraction to pull sugar in. And you can do that during exercise. You can't do that if you're at rest, right?
0: Right, right. Um, so athletes should not use this during rest, obviously. Let's just make you, that pretty you, apparent. <laughs> yeah, unless, unless eat it's, food. it's
1: Yeah, unless it's like you're you're in the middle of nowhere, you don't have another way to refuel in terms (laughs) of glycogen, right? Post exercise but hopefully right. you've got a bowl of chicken fried rice you can, you can lean into instead. Exactly.
0: There you go. There you go. Uh, I saw, Yeah, Ellen, I saw this, this great post on Facebook. I think it was Facebook. It was either that or their or Instagram and you were, you were brushing your teeth with a cyclist standing right next to you. And oh, it yeah. really, it really caught my attention. So of course, and it was a great post. I, I know you post that. So I read it and I was like, oh, that's a really interesting, just, just not a dilemma, but A lot of people do sometimes worry about oral health, sport drink consumption. So, can you kind of summarize what that post was about and why you were brushing your teeth?
1: Yeah. You know, we consume so many simple sugars in liquid form as endurance athletes that your cavity risk does go up. You know, I mean, it's just not a normal situation, Um, especially with the simple sugars like our sport hydration drink mix. Um, I think another, you know, qualification is that. A lot of sports drinks have food colorings and food dyes Mm. that act like lacquer and they are very, very sticky and end up sticking to enamel. This is one of the reasons why we didn't add any of that stuff because we actually found one, they weren't necessary. They would add to the molecular concentration and not have a useful function. So anytime you add an ingredient that doesn't have a useful function, you are increasing the molecular concentration. You're getting on an airplane, not just with people, but with chickens and goats that don't have Mm. seats. (laughs) right? Um, That's a very simple way to think about excess ingredients, right? Like, you know, whether it's an emulsifier, whether it's a coloring agent, whether it's an excess flavoring agent. Um, When I was developing the drink on the pro tour, what we were finding is that if I added a flavoring agent that had a coloring agent, the bikes were hard to clean. Mm. And the mechanics would come to me and they would always know when I was using a drink, without any of that stuff because the bikes were easier to clean.
0: Wow, and something you using never think
1: that, of. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, using that as kind of a corollary to your teeth, yes. I started imagining that maybe that was what was happening with our teeth as well, that some drinks were causing a lot of staining and making it harder to clean our teeth, just like it was harder for the mechanics to clean their bicycles. And so our current formulation was... Also, kind of made in consideration of that cleaning process, um, and with a more complex carbohydrate like cluster dextrin, since you're um, not breaking down as much of that carbohydrate in your mouth as you you know would already be with a simple sugar solution, mm-hmm. I think that there's less risk for cavities with that more complex cluster dextrin drink. That being said, you still got to brush your teeth and be a human being,
0: right, right. <laughs>
1: take care All of yourself. the dentist
0: will, the dentist will rejoice in that message. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Do you have any plans for the future? Like <clears throat> using cluster dextrin in different, different food products, you know, cause I, I love the whole food in the pocket uh, correlation, like any, any thoughts there that you can, you can share. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We've been experimenting this whole last year and we made for the U S cycling team for the Olympics, a special drink made out of cluster dextrin that was at a lower calorie. So it was only a 4% solution with a higher salt amount so it was 800 milligrams per liter at four grams per 100 mil Um, and the athletes were all calling that naked and (laughs) what what ended up happening was that that drink ends up because that carbohydrate is so complex and because we're using it at a lower volume in high heat situations that require a lot of volume intake it ends up tasting like plain water and when it's (laughs) cold you know you add a little bit of lemon or you know fruit to that it tastes just like this very like nice spa water that was mm. extraordinarily um thirst quenching for the athletes and when they get flavor fatigued with any kind of sweet or you know over flavored drink this is really really a great remedy and a great reprieve and so you know there may be something in the works with respect to this Kind of naked or clear gotcha. or water-like sports drink that is yeah. completely flavorless and yeah. for us that's really interesting because it does fit a, a unique niche of very very high temps uh where you need a lot of sodium a lot of water you need mm-hmm. a little bit of carbohydrate but you don't want it to taste like anything and you know when you're using cluster dextrin in that sense you're also getting an extraordinarily low um molecular concentration drink or drink with an extremely low osmolarity. So, mm.
0: well, I have to so, tell you yeah. with my, my personal experimentation with Superfuel. I, and I yeah. went, you know, it was a, it wasn't super long and nothing, you know, compared to, to two riders, but I was out on the trails <clears throat> and I just found, and it was a little bit warmer day, this is the summer. And like, I could, I felt like I could, and I dosed the Superfuel seven scoops per bottle because I, I just really wanted to try that out. And it was light the entire time. And again, two hours, a couple hours on the trail, you're not going to get a whole bunch of flavor fatigue. But I was so impressed that it was so light. And that's, you know, with with almost all your products, uh, your your drink products, I can say they're very light. Um, People appreciate the ingredients, the flavor, like the fruit flavor you put in there. And so I think that's a, a huge benefit to Superfuel. If If our listeners haven't tried it, um, try it because it's so light. It doesn't sit in your gut. It, it doesn't, it's not like that, that super sweet overpowering sugar taste in your mouth. So that's one that's thing right. I just wanted to throw a shout out right. to you because the formulation is, yeah. is awesome. Yeah.
1: And so we'll continue the experiment that I think that there is still a place for the simple sugar sports drink that we make with our mm-hmm. sport hydration, because for most individuals, that's all they're going to need. It tastes great. It's it washes away really, really clean. It's refreshing, et cetera. But in the more for the more nuanced athlete who uh, needs essentially more you know more tools in their tool chests, uh, working with cluster dextrin or highly branched cyclic dextrin is another carbohydrate source is really, really cool and right. gives us a broader range that we can now um, offer up to 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 the athletes we work with. And it, it is yeah. pretty nuanced in that Like from a marketplace, you know, most people aren't going to be interested in this, but our interest is in helping, you know, as many athletes as possible and Mm -hmm. uh, the most elite athletes out there, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's, it's good because you you do have that reach, right? And and I and I so appreciate the just the the opportunity that you're using some some science, right? Your technology. Yeah. It's not just putting sugar and water and salt in a beaker and you know mixing it up like we did you know thirty four years ago. Um, so I, I I love the the kind of the forward thinking approach that you have. Obviously you know PhD scientist um, and but just you know you're just a real life guy. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let Dina kind of take us out here.
2: Yeah, and before we do that, Dr. Lim, is there anything about the Cluster Dextrin or the superfield product that you haven't mentioned yet that that we've missed? Anything that the listeners should know before they try it? If they haven't it comes already? in both lemon and lime and raspberry. <laughs> <laughs> and schnozberries taste like schnozberries.
1: <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, I think that we tell people to just try it and if, if it doesn't work, if they don't like it. You know, there are a lot of other solutions out there and uh, our aim is just to help people. And if, and if it doesn't work, you know, we'll send you something else or we'll help you find another competitor's products, you know, with a, a full refund, no strings attached. And so we we have that kind of belief in our product set. And um, we also have that kind of maybe more humanistic or rational approach that not everything is going to work for everyone, right? Or, you know. That people need to try and experiment and learn and develop their own process and techniques and this is just you know one leg on a very complex many-legged stool. Mm-hmm.
2: Well thank you for uh, teaching us all about super fuel and clustered dextrin. Uh, before we wrap up Dr. Lim we wanted to do a fun little you know oh. Q&A with you just to learn some fun facts about you. So we're gonna call it the high five.
1: Okay let's hit Um, it.
2: Yeah so just five questions for you. You're gonna get them all right but uh just you know whatever comes to the top of your mind. Let it roll. Okay so I'll start. Are you ready? Yes. Salty or sweet?
1: Savory all day long.
2: Savory all day long. Okay Mm.
1: I got a savory tooth. I have a fat tooth. I actually have a tempura fried tooth. Oh. <laughs> Perfect.
2: Bob, you go.
0: All right. Yeah. Number two, what is your favorite go-to breakfast?
1: Um, most mornings, I just have a little cafe au lait. Pour over 25 grams of ground Ethiopian, um, you know, 400 mils of 95 degrees Celsius water. <laughs> pour it over three and a half to four minutes, uh, at least a 30 to 40 second bloom phase to get as much CO2 gas off that coffee and just basic whole milk or cream, 400 mils of coffee, maybe at most 100 mils of milk. That's great. I will, you know, on bigger day rides, I might have, um, you know, rice and eggs or oatmeal and eggs or even, you um, some pancakes with eggs always okay. eggs always eggs nice bacon and eggs nice
2: perfect and when you're on the bike dr lim what's your favorite you know whole food option or food option to keep you going
1: if, if i could choose it would always be some type of sushi rice cake or onigiri right mm-hmm. and you know what i kind of got I guess famous for on the pro tour was this bacon and egg sushi rice cake. Mm-hmm. Um, so delicious, so easy to eat. It keeps your blood sugar so steady um, and, and pretty elevated. So it's not great for when you're off the bicycle because you get the food coma fast, but when you're working out pretty hard, it, it's actually uh, really, really nice. Um, you know, what else do I like? I like anything leftover um, it, leftover pizza is really good too. Oh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. You're making a stand.
2: I yeah. know I'm drooling. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: yeah. Okay, Alan. Here's your next one: dirt or road?
1: Ooh. You know, I'm mostly a roadie. I grew up as a roadie, but I find myself more and more. I probably do about seventy um, percent of my rides on gravel these days, mm-hmm. and little uh, trails, and people's backyards, and okay. places I'm not probably supposed to be. <laughs> Uh, and that's the most fun. And, you know, I spend a lot of time riding here in Boulder and also spend a lot of time in LA and in LA, the, the, the gravel, the trails, the fire roads out there are freaking amazing. Right. Yes. So, yeah, cool, uh, cool. Dirt. fully oh, okay. rigid, hardtail yes. Scott RC yep. scale, lighter than yes. most gravel
0: bikes. Wow.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, our last question for you, Dr. Lim, if you had one piece of advice to give to other athletes, what would that be?
1: Um, Don't be a D-bag about food. I mean, relax a little, come on, enjoy yourself, right? Like uh, share your meals with others, right? There's a lot of disconnection, a lot of loneliness out there and you're all disciplined and like, so aggro and like, you know, yeah, your parents love you. Okay. And like, make something delicious for dinner, invite some friends over, get over it. I don't know. No. Yeah, I see a lot of loneliness in elite sports. I see a lot of um, people looking for connection and belonging. And there is, you know, just as there is in all of society and humanity, I think this relative deprivation that we're all kind of exposed to now with greater social media, etc. And I think that the great remedy and the thing that I found in sport that was probably the most important performance enhancing technique was sitting the team down for dinner as much as possible. That family meal is um, so, so important. I think uh, one of the most overlooked aspects of nutrition out there.
0: So true. I cannot agree with you more. <clears throat> I tell my kids that every night, how fortunate we are to be able to sit down most evenings together.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Share stories. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Lim, for sharing your wisdom and letting us get a little bit more insight into Superfuel and you and the company. We're big supporters and grateful for your time today.
0: Hey, thank you very much. Keep on doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. We hope to catch up with you in the future, too. Thanks for taking the time today. Okay. Take care. All right. Thanks, Alan. Thank you,
2: Dr. Lim.
0: Thanks for listening to the Inside Sports Nutrition Podcast. We are super excited for you to tune in. Hopefully you learned a lot. Stay tuned for next episode where Dina and I chat all things off-season training. Or is it out-season? Or is it no-season? Well, we're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss everything from a nutrient timing, daily nutrition for the off-season, how you navigate it in and out. So how do you come out of out? off-season or out-season successfully in terms of nutrition. So stay tuned for that. And we love your support in promoting our podcast. So if you do find our information super beneficial and all of our real-life strategies are useful in your quest for improving your health and performance, please head on over to your local podcast platform, hit the like button, and give us a five-star rating. It really helps us grow and share our content with other listeners around the world. For more information about individual and team nutrition coaching and physiological and biomarker testing, you can reach out to me at energyperformance.com. That's E-N-R-G performance.com. And you can reach Dina at nutritionmechanic.com. Thanks for listening.